Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that we meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around psychology, human behavior, consciousness, spirituality, philosophy, and more, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast for episode number 49. And as per usual, I'm out here walking. It's like I got so used to recording these intros and even my solo episodes walking that I can't even bring myself to like sit at my desk and record them anymore. Um, And I don't know if that speaks more to my restless mind or just how I feel and the alignment that I can be in when I am out in the natural world. You can hear the little birds chirping. It's pretty early here and it's 31 degrees. And I am so not a cold person, um, but I'm, I'm really working on like A, not complaining in general. And that doesn't mean not feeling your feelings, there's a difference, but not complaining. And then also being able to appreciate the full cycle of the year, including winter, um, and building a little distress tolerance, as we say in the mental health field. <laughs> um, that it's okay for me to feel a little uncomfortable. Oh, hi, cute little chipmunk running across the road. (laughs) Um, Also, I'm wearing these boots that I just got yesterday at TJ Maxx. They're Skechers, and they look very similar to a pair of Uggs that I had bought. The only pair of Uggs that I ever bought before I went vegan, so probably like four years ago, and they've barely been worn. Um, since I wore them like a little bit that season and then haven't really worn them since then, you know, and I'm a big proponent of like, if you already had stuff, um, this is not about like being cruelty free is not about being wasteful. Right. And, um, we get into that a ton, well, related topics, a ton on this interview today, um, both around sustainability and cruelty free living, um, So if you already have stuff, like you don't have to get rid of it um, unless it's going to another good home. And I eventually plan to sell those Uggs um, because I think they're still um, good quality shoes for somebody. I just don't want to advertise that brand. So anyway, random little aside there. But these are like super comfy, cute, cruelty-free, warm boots. I'm very grateful. So my feet are toasty even though it's frigid out here and I can see my breath and there's still snow on the ground from earlier this week an early snow here in Nashville after having 90 degree temps in in October so um yeah I don't really want to share a whole lot because I've been sharing a lot with you guys um in my midweek magic emails so if you're not signed up for those yet and you dig what I'm putting out here with the podcast, I highly recommend signing up for it. It's If you go to um, misfitmanifestors.com, you can sign up there. You can also sign up at my other website, valeriekmartin.com. 
Um, so wherever I am, you can find my little sign up for my midweek magic emails. Every week I share a song of the week, a challenge of the week, a five minute challenge of the week, and a mantra of the week. And those segments are um, certainly fluid. They may change over time as I kind of continue to gather what's most useful for you guys. So um, yeah, I would so love for you to sign up for that if you are called to. And let's get into talking about this week's guest. She is freaking incredible, you guys. I asked her at the end of the interview if she would be my eco-fairy god sister because that's just how amazing she is. Her name is Ashley Piper. And I was um, delighted to have the opportunity to be introduced to her by my friend Abby Blair, who teaches here with me at Interlight Yoga. Um, they knew each other from when Abby lived in Chicago. So Ashley's based in Chicago, and I'll have her full bio in the show notes. But I was looking at it before walking outside to record this, and I noticed a part that I hadn't noticed before. We didn't talk about her education really on the interview, but y'all, she went to Brown and then Oxford for her master's. This girl is freaking smart. Um, on top of just being really cool, really humble, uh, she's been featured, she's, she was a political strategist in sort of her former career life. And then now she works in brand strategy and does a lot of her own kind of freelance writing and has been on hundreds of national TV spots. And um, she's just a freaking rock star. And she's doing it all to spread this message of sustainability in realistic ways um, from a super non-judgy place too, which is really awesome. She's a fellow vegan, which you'll hear about on the interview, um, kind of her journey toward that. And just an amazing person. So enjoy this interview with Ashley Piper, author of Give a Shit, which is one of the best books literally that I've ever read. It is a very thorough resource guide full of ideas for ways that you can live more sustainably. Hello, little doggy barking. So check out that book. Also, the dog barking reminds me of, uh, there were some sound effects in our interview where uh, my kitten was going bonkers and like I didn't want to lock her out of the room because then she'd be scratching at the door or yelling from the basement, <laughs> but she was scratching in a box, but you know, we're keeping it real. We're loving on our animals and enjoy this interview with Ashley Piper. You can find her on Instagram at Ashley Piper, A-S-H-L-E-E and her website, ashleypiper.com. All that will be linked up in the show notes. See you on the other side. So Ashley, what is the thing you've been most excited about in the last 24 hours? Oh, in the last 24 hours, let's see. That I'm most excited about, I think, uh... It's been, I've been eating a lot better, which just is going to sound really rote, but um, I kind of decided a few weeks ago I was going to just like take charge of my health a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So even though I'm vegan, I'm vegan 
for like animal rights reasons. So I eat all sorts of wonderful, delicious <laughs> vegan um, foods, including kind of the more convenient junk foodie type options sometimes, uh, which I'm grateful and excited about all of them. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I've been, uh, I don't know if you've ever read Eat to Live. It's like a Dr. Furman book Mm-mm. about nutritarian eating, which is really like uh, instead of a diet, it's just a focus on like nutrient density of all the foods that you're eating in a day. And wow. so I was like, yeah, I'm going to give this a try for like two weeks. And I did it. I tried it once a few years back, but, um, and really felt amazing, like felt just electric, so energetic, so focused, so on my game. So I've been back in that and I'm starting to like feel the benefits of it and see the benefits of it. So I feel excited about that. Very cool. Yeah. I'm familiar with him, but I haven't heard of the, the nutritarian concept and um, I've been vegan for three years and also like kind of work in the eating disorder field and coming out of that um, historically myself. So I'm a huge fan of uh, what intuitive eating calls play food. Um, yeah. Oh, so the Oreos cool. and all of that kind of accidentally vegan stuff. Um, yeah. But, but absolutely. I, I also like I'm glad that my body craves vegetables and things like that because if you know, I go a couple of days and I'm eating like mostly French fries and guardian chicken fingers and stuff, I'm like, mm, I definitely feel it. So yeah, you feel it in your mood too. And yeah. that's for me, like where I was like, you know, it's nice to feel good in your body. That's always awesome. But it's just so interesting how it's not, it shouldn't, I shouldn't even say it's interesting. It's just like a fact, but how like good quality food <laughs> can make you feel really good. So right. Uh, yeah, so that's that's been exciting. Yeah, cool. Okay. And obviously, I knew you were vegan because that is something that you talk about in the book. And I just, oh my God, like the fact that you've got uh, testimonial blurbs from Moby and Ingrid Newkirk, <laughs> the president of PETA. I'm just like, oh my goodness. That's oh, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> but I, one of the things that I love about your book so much, and I'll just go ahead and say, um, obviously I'll kind of mention the book a little bit in the intro, uh, but give a shit, do good, live better, save the planet. So good. I mean, like it's rare that you see a book this size that feels incredibly comprehensive, but like, that's the word that I would use. Oh my God. We're going to just enjoy the sound of my cat digging around in it. a box in the background. <laughs> I'm into it. Yeah. Um, it seems appropriate yeah. for yeah. this conversation yeah. anyway. Yeah. She's just her wild self. Um, yeah, no worries. I but... got a little sniffle going, you know, we've got all the sounds. So. Yeah. But yeah, it's incredibly comprehensive. And in when you kind of talk about your journey to veganism, um, you do so in a way of like, Oh, there's there's a line I actually found from one of the things that, um, that we'll talk about later. But you said something like you're all eco all the time without being crunchy or judgy. And that really comes across that you're, you know, you're trying to share all the truth, but also, um, you know, vegans get a bad rap for kind of being judgmental or being perceived that way. And, and you do a really good job of not being that way. Oh, Valerie, thank you so much. That's very sweet of you to say. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's anything that you could kind of share with us about that journey for folks who have not read the book. Yeah, sure. Um, So I definitely feel like I'm the kind of person who hasn't followed like a monolithic path, whether it's be it my career or kind of just my personal value systems. And so I grew up in Texas, 
you know, eaten. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're both from Texas. That's right. Um, so, you know, eating like, Oh yeah. All the meats, all the animals, uh, and really loving it. And, um, I actually used to be a social worker and then ended up going into politics as a political strategist for about a decade. And it was during that time when I was in my political strategy career that I had started to explore vegetarianism and veganism just personally for myself. I had adopted my dog and I uh, just really started to see her in like every animal I encountered and was so, I mean, I'd always had pets growing up, but uh, Banjo is like my first dog that's just mine as an adult. And so I really uh, was just blown away by, oh, I get to spend time with this amazing creature and she's so emotive and she's so um, compassionate and bright. And I just was like beaming with reverence for her and uh, had had friends who were vegetarians or vegans and always thought that was just cool. That was always something aspirational for me. And I used to actually write in like my New Year's resolutions, like try to be a vegetarian and I would try it and then kind of fall off the wagon. Mm -hmm. And so when I kind of had this new impetus of like animal rights, as the cornerstone for me exploring that as a lifestyle change, I found it really stuck for me um, much more than like the health benefits or anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, so I started getting really into animal rights, very active in everything from protests to watching undercover factory farming mm. footage, which is not a joyful thing to do. It's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's great for anybody's mental health, but it certainly is good for opening people's eyes. Um, and I appreciate the people who do that really hard work. Um, and, you know, then it just kind of became like this sort of uh, really exciting personal adventure for me. I was like, okay, I'm vegetarian. And then, okay, I'm vegan. And uh, being gentle with myself throughout the whole process too, like it certainly didn't happen overnight. I know that there are people for whom it is very much like an overnight change. And I think that's amazing. That wasn't how it was for me. And I think that's why in the book, I really stress there are lots of ways to go about doing it. And we should celebrate every little victory because everything does really matter. Um, And as I was getting, you know, more cemented in kind of vegan ethical veganism, like not wearing animals, not eating them, not going to the zoo, those kinds of things. Not like I was a big zoo goer, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I started to see all of the intersections and benefits like around environmental stewardship and eating in that way. And, uh, I was pretty, I would say like vegan focused in a lot of, uh, stuff that I was writing. I had a blog at the time and I was really planning on leaving my political strategy career because I was starting to feel so much more strongly about this personal adventure I was taking and these values I was cultivating. And I was like, in my professional life was spending a lot of my time and talents, like finding ways to um, make, you know, certain candidates who I couldn't choose to work with necessarily seem like publicly palatable or interesting. And I kind of thought like, oh, I could really parlay this skill set into signal boosting stuff that actually needs it, like Mm -hmm. animal rights and the environment. So I eventually left that job and, uh, started a blog, was writing about mostly vegan things, because I would get occasionally questions from people like, oh, you know, you worked in a really professional job. Where do you find vegan dress shoes? Or where do you, you know, find X, Y, and Z? How do you balance going on client dinners all the time or traveling a lot? 
mm-hmm. while maintaining kind of that lifestyle. Um, so I really enjoyed answering kind of those questions and providing guidance like that. And then I, and then it started to feel a little navel gazy to me because it was mostly like other vegans that I was talking to. Um, and I was like, I wonder if I could like write about this stuff for more mainstream publications. And I didn't have any real applied experience in writing for magazines or pitching um, them. So I started to build up kind of a portfolio of writing for free and then eventually started uh, writing for bigger, more like digital outlets. Like I had a column on Refinery29 about like cruelty-free beauty and fashion for a while, which was really nice. Like that was such a cool mainstream audience to um, relate with in that way. Mm. And then it got to the point of like a year and a half later where I was like, wonder if I could bring this stuff on TV. And um, yeah, because I just became so interested in like wanting to reach as many folks as possible because through my just conversations and, you know, interactions with friends and family who didn't think or act in a similar way, I really was finding that like when folks are armed with the information and we make it easy for them to make, where we show them how easy it is to like make a switch, um, they're more likely to do it. And so I thought like, well, if I could just show people how to shop for like a cruelty-free lipstick Mm -hmm. or how to make like a quick vegan meal um, and I can show that to like thousands of people via television, that, that could be really cool. So I felt really energized by that and just did the same thing that I did with like pitching different journalistic outlets. I was like, Hey, you know, I've never done TV, but I'd really love to give this a whirl. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that I wouldn't recommend anybody to try with that opening line. Um, it definitely <laughs> did take me some time to uh, land my first segment because I didn't have any reel or anything that showed that I n- knew how to speak in public or that <laughs> I had any kind of television presence. And it just so happened that a producer here at like Good Day Chicago, which is like a Fox uh, morning show, I had been pestering her. That is like a gentle word for it, <laughs> probably for about like seven months. And, you know, she was, I found her on Twitter too. I mean, I really just like ambushed this poor woman, but you know, you got to be scrappy and do what you can do if you don't have contacts. I'm not like a PR person, so I don't have ready access to those contacts. And, um, yeah. And then she was like, no, no, no. And I had pitched a, a, like a segment on vegan fashion around fashion week because I'd been cultivating kind of all these relationships with these makers who were doing cool stuff in the realm of like eco-friendly and vegan beauty and fashion. And so I wanted to bring their stuff on TV. I thought like that would be so neat for people to see that it's not all like what the stereotype is. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, no, we don't have any space for you. And I just kind of kept, I don't know if this is like law of attractioning. (laughs) I know I'm droning on and on, but uh, I had kind of just kept that hope alive that that was going to happen at some point, like something was going to break through. So um, I was, you know, asking these different makers for like samples of clothing and saying, I don't have the date yet for this TV segment, but I know it's going to happen. I know I will. (laughs) And so I actually was like, it was a good example of getting ready for like the thing to happen before you've actually secured it. So I had, I was living with a boyfriend at the time in a very small apartment with two dogs. And I had just like a whole closet full of like clothes and things to show. And it just so happened. I remember I was at a Whole Foods working one day 
And I messaged this woman again just to like circle back. And it had been a few weeks since I'd even communicated with her. And she said, you know what? We actually had a cancellation for tomorrow morning at 630. If you can be here with five models, (laughs) you can have this segment. And I remember being like, holy shit. Like it was one of those. Sorry if I can't swear on here. Yeah. I was like, it was good. It was one of those moments where I was like. I'm not prepared totally because I had like no models at all, but yeah. I, I'm going to say yes. I'm just going to figure it out. And so said yes. And I remember putting like a call out on Facebook, like, yo, is, does, can anybody wear like this size? Cause they were all like sample size clothes, yeah. you know, anybody wear like this and has this size shoe and can be available to come to my house tonight for a fitting, but also can do a TV segment tomorrow morning. <laughs> And it actually happened so beautifully and so easily that, awesome. I mean, people were just like, yeah, my friend so-and-so can do it, blah, blah. So later that night, I had five gals come to my apartment, all of whom are still really good friends of mine. And we fitted them in clothes, saw them the next morning, did the segment. And that was kind of the beginning of me doing quite a few TV segments. I think by the time the book came out last year, I'd done almost 200 Holy cow. Television segments. Yeah. yeah. And so it was, um, and I just, through that experience too, I was like, man, I really love doing TV. I love talking about this stuff to people who might not be aware of it. And uh, yeah, just kind of, I wouldn't say snowballed from there. It wasn't like people were banging down my door being like, do another TV segment. But it gave me enough, like, it gave me at least one clip and it gave me enough confidence to know I could keep doing it. Mm, because I'd kind of just broken through like yeah. that initial barrier. And then after that, wouldn't say it was like easy, but I went on a bit of a tear of doing TV segments um, around just everything. It, originally it was vegan. And then I kind of realized like, oh, there's like so, so much bigger of an issue here. And it's really sustainability. Like veganism is just a really important rung of sustainability. And also this was, you know, only a few years ago, but I think it still holds true to a certain extent. Veganism has a stigma attached to it. Mm-hmm. It can be a really polarizing term. I don't mind using it for myself. I actually like it and take pride in it, but I totally understand for folks. They're like, Ugh. so talking about it from a sustainability standpoint and also talking about other things not related to veganism that are mm-hmm. sustainable uh, was a real kind of where I found my niche or comfort spot. And so that's, that's really how it kind of evolved from like a personal journey and exploration to being something I just couldn't shut up about in every way possible. So. Yeah, no, I love it. And I'm just like amazed hearing about that journey. Cause like even just the part of getting into TV and kind of going, okay, I, I know that I want to do this and I haven't done it before. I don't really know how, but I know that I can figure it out and just going after it. Um, I'm gonna pause this really quick and get my freaking kitten out of here. Oh yeah, do your thing. So loud. Okay, so now I just have to hope that she doesn't come and yell at the door. (laughs) Oh, but anyway, um, yeah, just hearing you describe that, it's like you're resourceful AF and also... Like, is that just kind of your personality, you think, that you're just like, I want to do this and I know I can do it and I'm going to figure it out? Or 
what do you think that that really was? Well, thank you, first of all, for saying that. Um, I would, I wish it was like my personality. I think I can, you know, I think I can be kind of both. I think I can be doggedly optimistic, just like everybody can at times. And then there are times where I'm like, this is never going to work. And I'm like a human rain cloud. So it really just depends. I think part of the reason why I kept pursuing this is because I had already, I basically had the hardest part for me was leaving like a 10 year, pretty lucrative, high profile career Yeah, and going through all the emotional work that I hadn't even anticipated about, you know, like when we have a job where so much of our identity is really wrapped up in that. And so when I left that job, I mean, yeah, I struggled with like, how am I going to make money and things like that? But really the biggest hurdle was how, who am I now that I've done this now that I've made this shift now, now, mm-hmm. now that I've done that. And that was like five and a half years ago or something. It feels like eons ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that I did it, of course. Um, and it just feels like a totally different life of mine. Um, but I think I had to kind of make this work because there got to be a point where I put so much work into it that I was like, something's got to break. And, you know, I wouldn't even necessarily say, like whatever that break is constantly evolves too. So at first it was like, I just want to get, I just want to write for like a decently large publication. Okay. Uh, I just want to write and actually get paid to do it. Okay. I just want to, you know, like go on TV. Okay. Which TV doesn't pay anything. So like, um, and like, as we talked about offline before we started this, I mean, I still have a full-time job that, I mean, I call my day job, but for, Mm -hmm. A lot of other people I work with, it is their like life career. So I don't mean that to diminish what I do during the day, but you know, for me, it was, you know, if I write a book, then I'll have arrived. And now I'm kind of working on redefining or evolving what that arrived means next for me with this. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I was doggedly persistent because I had to be, because at that time I kind of like put up, I don't know, Tony Robbins sometimes says like burned the boats. Like I burned the boats. Yeah. So I have to like make it on the Island, you know? But, um, now that I'm not like in a place of that much desperation, I'm sort of like, Oh, what next? So mm-hmm. it's always changing. And I think my attitude around it changes as well. I wish I want to be honest. Cause like, I don't know anybody who does anything and is just like, yeah, it's totally going to work out. I'd like mm-hmm. to be more that kind of person. And if you have any strategies <laughs> on that, my God, please give them to me. <laughs> well, I think, you know, well, two two questions. Uh, do you know your Enneagram type? I don't, but everybody's okay. been telling me to do that. And stuff, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. All right. Yeah, you got to mm-hmm. do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not going to be like, oh, well, I think you're this type because that's like, it's a very important thing, journey to go on yourself. Um, <laughs> so I might, I might have guesses, but... But basically, even if you do have kind of a personality type that tends to be sort of like a, an achiever, go-getter, whatever, um, I think it's actually a good thing when it's not like personality that's the primary driver of success because then everyone else can be like, well, of course Ashley can do it because that's just how she is. It's like, no, you know, yeah, there's, there's some things that you have. There's some, some internal resources and skills that you've developed that lead you to believe that you can do it, whatever you kind of set your mind to. But that doesn't mean you're going to be 
in that headspace 100% of the time, but you're going to be there enough to get out of your own way and make shit happen. Right. That's a great way to put it. And I think, I, I feel like there are things that people are really good if they are achievers, they're really good at achieving in certain areas of life. Like I am and have historically been really good at achieving professionally or academically at things in my life or friend wise, you know, not like we have achievements in that, but you know what I mean? But Hey, you know, are there developmental areas in my life? For sure. My romantic relationships would probably Mm -hmm. be one. one I mean, they can't all be bangers, you know? So it's a good reminder that even like the high achieving people, not every part of their life is like firing on all cylinders, though they might really like that to be the case as we all do. Right, exactly. And that that goes back to the whole idea of um, not comparing our insides to somebody else's outsides because it's like somebody might see all the stuff that you're doing and you're killing it, but then they might assume that everything is perfect about your life and then use that as a reason to get down on themselves. And so it's like we got to all remember that we're only seeing part of the picture and like that doesn't mean that they're not killing it, but it's just, you know – it's not ever like we're not ever seeing the full story. Oh, you're so wise and so true. Yeah. So one of the things that I know we're both really excited to talk about um, that we kind of realized in the the, um, emails that we're going back and forth is the whole law of attraction thing. And I mentioned to you that I am starting to work on a book and, um, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated by all this. Like I've read, you know, a lot of the books around it, not all of them. And I'm, I'm really drawn to these ideas and I'm, I'll do kind of the meditations and visualizations and all that. So I am into it, but then I, I also have this kind of voice in my head that's like, yeah, but you know, first of all, it's like very privileged. It's, it doesn't really take into account factors like privilege or I, I think it mm. doesn't do a very good job at um, addressing or, or conceptualizing trauma. So I think there's like all these areas and, and p- that's part of what I want to get into in my book is yeah. um, sort of like what can manifesting look like if we can get on board with some of these ideas, but like maybe not in the traditional sense. So I would love to hear kind of what your journey has been with law of attraction or manifesting or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I think those are really awesome things that you're bringing up, which to be honest, I haven't really thought of because you always hear stories of folks who seemingly are in places of like not extreme privilege. Like I'll throw out like uh, Steve Harvey or Jim Carrey right now. Jim Carrey is a white man. So obviously Mm -hmm. that is still like a place of privilege, but how both of them came from pretty poor backgrounds, but they had like law of attraction components to their personal development Mm. that where they just, where it really helped to affirm their belief that they were going to make it Mm. to whatever it was for them. So yeah, I I have never really thought of uh, how to balance like the realities, the very true realities of privilege and trauma with, manifesting things that you want in your life kind of in the 5d first Mm -hmm. um so that'll be i'm gonna be reading your book don't worry about (laughs) it obviously yeah Um, law of attractions it's been huge in my life and you know i i would i mean i would say it's huge in everybody's life whether or not 
they acknowledge that it is right. So, um, I, as far as like me being sort of more consciously or intentionally applied with it, um, I feel like last year in like in the past, maybe year and a half, um, I got more advanced in my exploration of law of attraction and got really into like Abraham Hicks Mm. and, um, was listening to Abraham Hicks constantly and like at work and things like that, um, while I was working and I just found it to bring me such a sense of peace around and relief around things that were like have been bothering me for a lot of my life, you know, just things that I, I'm a, I'm a fixer, you know, so I, um, my natural tendency is to focus on the things that might not be working just like a lot of people or focus on the things that we might not have yet and really, really focus on them and then take a lot of like action to fix that situation. Mm -hmm. And the law of attraction is very much like the opposite of that, which, so it's sort of a deprogramming to a certain extent. And I think it can be very, um, difficult for folks who are like high achievers, ambitious, like we, we want to do these things in our lives. We want to have these things. And especially for women, we've been taught, like, you got to go for it. You know, you got to ask for it. You got to go after it. You got to lean in. You got to work yourself to the bone, whatever it is. So it was a new way of thinking for me. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, I just surrendered to everything completely. But I, I focused a lot on the gratitude aspect of things. Like I was a very active and I'm getting back into it, but I was a very active gratitude journaler um, starting about a year and a half ago. And that was like a transformative practice for me because it helped me to like see just the bounty in my life. Even if there were like things that before I had seen as like were glaringly missing or not going well. Mm. Um, And I've reread back through a lot of my gratitude journals and it's just pages and pages and pages. I would just go and like really get in a zone and go on like a tear, which I think is great. You know, if you're going to go on a tear, go on a tear about things you're thankful for, um, about things. And it would be like kind of minutia, like socks, you know, I mean, I would really (laughs) get granular with it. And I, I like that because it, you know, if you're not seeing everything in your life as like a tiny miracle, what the fuck are you doing here? You know, like, I mean, cause it really is, so, and my life changed in, in huge, huge ways. I mean, I found my relationships were improving. I got into pretty out of the blue, like a really healthy romantic relationship. I got an unexpected promotion at work. Uh, I got like a windfall of money from a job mm. I used to have. Like, it was just like, it was like one after another <laughs> of things that were happening. And it was right around the time when the book was coming out as well. So I think part of it was I was riding a wave of like positive anticipation around the book coming out. And I was just feeling so rich already in my life, exactly how it was that, I mean, the universe or source or God, whatever you're into, like truly brought like an overflow beyond like what I could have even conceived. I mean, shit was coming out of the woodwork where I was like, (laughs) what that like (laughs) things I'd wanted like five years ago, six years ago, were just like happening out of the blue, like completely effortlessly. So that was really cool. And, um, 
you know, and I think I kind of like things got really good and I got on cruise control mode and I sort of stopped <laughs> doing, I stopped maintaining that. Not like I was an ungrateful asshole, right. but I just stopped as the active practice. I didn't make it a part of my like everyday behavior as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that's why certain things like fell apart or like, and fell apart is like a dramatic way to put it, but you know, life is kind of an ebb and flow anyway. So that was like a time of feast. And then proceeding that was sort of a time of perceived famine a little bit. And so now I'm getting back into like perceived feast, (laughs) like feeling that. So I think there is a lot to be, you know, I'm no expert, but I feel like there is, well, one, you just feel better. Once you get in that zone or the flow, you just feel better trying to force so many things in your life, trying to chase down so many things. For me, I'd been doing that all my life and found it wasn't totally working. So Mm -hmm. I was open to a different way to do it. So I felt a lot of just like relief in areas of my life and it made me feel good and it made me feel happier. And, um, yeah. And so, I mean, I think that whole feeling it before you have it is really important. We, you know, your mind kind of your body goes where your mind goes first. So right. it it really helped me to realize like the things I say have power, the things I think have power, especially mm-hmm. about myself or a situation. And um, even though it's, you know, an always evolving practice, it is like an important part of my life even now. Like when I'm in a place where I feel just like bad about stuff, probably the first thing I do is either gratitude journal or put on an Abraham Hicks video while I take a hot bath. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. like the, those are just the things that can really lift me into. And the other cool thing was things were, were so life was just skyrocketing. And like, so it was like a supernova of just mm-hmm. awesome for a good, like solid almost year that, um, people in my life were like, yo, what are you doing? Like, what is, yeah. what's the secret sauce here? So without me even talking about it, people just were taking notice that not just of the things that were happening, but just that I was different. Um, I was just more relaxed. I was happier. I was just flowing with things. And so now my mom's into it. Her boyfriend's into it. I got like two best friends (laughs) into it. We've gone to see Abraham Hicks, you know, so it's kind of fun. I think like with any good thing, it can be contagious too. Right. Yeah. And I think there are so many elements of it that like, you have many names, right? I think the power of intention, the power of, like you were saying, um, being able to think and visualize something as possible for yourself um, even before it's happened, because how can something happen if we don't even think that it's possible for it to happen? And and then the other piece of it that's huge is the like surrender and letting go. Like that, yeah, you can still really want things, but what happens if you sort of release that, whether you sense you're releasing it to divine or to right. the, the force of life, like that kind of surrender, because I think there's a beautiful kind of paradox in that of, you know, often it's the the forcing and the efforting is not what is actually going to help us. Right. Um, so there's so many pieces of it that I think are really amazing. And, you know, the parts that I struggle with are kind of more of like, the idea of it being a law in that it applies in every circumstance to every person equally, like gravity does, right? It would apply right. in all situations equally. And I think that there are times where like, 
maybe Abraham Hicks, and I've kind of watched some of the interviews um, with Esther and with Wayne Dyer and stuff where where they get asked some of these really hard questions about like, okay, but what about, you know, childhood sexual abuse and yeah. things like that? People like who kids, died in the Holocaust. Right, they, right. Were they attracting that? No. Yeah. Like that's, that's, tough. that's like a tough one. Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that that we've got to allow for that there there are other forces at play. Like it is not just that that is purely the cause and effect of why things happen or don't happen for people. Um, Do you know Tosha Silver? You know, I was just on a like cycling trip in France and a gal I met there who is into kind of similar stuff had recommended her to me, but I'm not terribly familiar. Yeah. But the name keeps popping up. So obviously I got to get into it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So she has, um, she's really known for this book called outrageous openness. That's sort of like a collection of, of essays. And she's really all about like that 100% surrender, um, kind of thing. And so she, her most recent book is called it's not your money. And so she gets into a lot of kind of the, manifesting stuff but in a in a different sort of way and my book is obviously not just going to be trying to be a copy of hers but I really like some of her approaches to it like she'll she kind of jokes about like this is not about making a a grocery list for god or the cosmic costco Um, oh I love that yeah and and she I heard her say on a podcast I think once I don't remember if this is specifically in the book but um, something about like she even brought up the J- the Jim Carrey example of you know him writing that ten million dollar check that he kept in his wallet and she's like yeah and you know what we don't necessarily always talk about is what about all the people who've done that since then and that's not going to happen not happening for them and maybe never will is are they mm-hmm. doing it wrong or are they you know what is what's kind of the secret sauce there and. Uh, you know, obviously, I think there's a lot that he did right, other than just writing that check. Yeah, um, of course. But she refers to this um, term from I can't remember if it's the Yoga Sutras, but it's some kind of yoga philosophy um, called Parabdha Karma, and that's basically the idea of like that each of us sort of has our unique curriculum. So it's like, okay, well, maybe in addition to him really. Um, kind of aligning and wanting that, like it also was a part of his curriculum um, mm-hmm. that he was going to have that experience. But maybe not everybody who really, really wants that and they they write the check and they have it in their wallet, that might not be their curriculum. And it's, you know, that's where I, I get sad because it's like, it's not fair. Like, why does the person who's born into the, you know, the third world country and and just doesn't have any of these opportunities why was that their curriculum but you know i'm not in control i'm not the boss so (laughs) yeah and you also like hope you've got a good curriculum cracking you know because there's a little bit of like shit well hopefully in the in the universal lottery i've got a good curriculum happening that's not a constant just like uh cycling through of difficult things but yeah right yeah i mean you raise a lot of good points they're definitely they're definitely, you know, there's like a certain suspension of disbelief that I think you have to have with any kind of concept. And uh, I have those misgivings as well. Uh, yeah. I just, for me, I know that like I feel better when I'm really in the zone with it. Yeah. Um, but totally. it, but it does take practice to get into that place. And I'm, like I said, still trying to get back to kind of that flow right. where I was before. Yeah, I think I I lost myself in the middle of my train of thought. What I was saying about um, Esther Hicks, Wayne Dyer, some of those conversations is that like sometimes they will go as far as to say like, 
Well, yeah, I think that soul did choose that. I think that soul, you know, that soul did choose those parents that did these things to them. And that's where I'm kind of like, meh. But it's really been a practice for me. And and I feel like this is happening a lot in our culture. Like, for instance, um, I watched the Aziz Ansari uh, stand-up that he did and I you know I'm not gonna say like I'm a forever fan like obviously no, I'm not gonna say no matter what he does or like there's still some weirdness there but he he did a really good job I think of addressing it um and so I think it's like we're in this culture we're sort of like all in or all out and like okay mm-hmm. well this person screwed up so I'm not gonna be into anything that they say so that's kind of how I feel about like Abraham Hicks or generally law of attraction is like I don't have to throw out the whole thing I can identify yeah. like what are the parts of it that are really useful um and that's really okay to do and I think we need to all give ourselves more permission to do that in every area rather than like either trying to force something to fit all the way or throwing it all throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Because nothing's ever going to be a perfect fit for everything that mm-hmm. we would like, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think these are all extremely good points. And mm-hmm. how do you still leverage, like, the good parts of a concept or a belief system, you know, or person? Right. Um, and still get joy from those without, yeah, like you said, just completely getting rid of all of it. Yeah. It's and tough. It- and I always do love to hear like personal experiences because those are the best evidence or testimony, right? So regardless yeah. all the different factors of, you know, your skill and whatever else um, that played into the past year, like you you had the lived experience of I was doing things differently and I was getting different results and things yes. were just happening that I could not have predicted or planned for. And I think that's, that's pretty cool testimony. Yeah. And I mean, things did, you know, and then like, for instance, not to get like TMI, but a, something I wrestled with a lot that maybe kind of got me off track with law of attraction was that, that like seemingly destined, like fantastically healthy relationship that I was in dissolved very abruptly, like in a blindsiding way for me. And I could with like very little closure. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't understand why that would have even come into my life if it was going to be so painful at, you know, the end of it. And, uh, you know, I've kind of just had to, it's like that, like surrender has never been my strong suit (laughs) ever. Mm -hmm. And so I've kind of just had to surrender to like, you know, I don't have to have all the answers right now. I don't have to sleuth them out and I don't have to make myself crazy trying to understand maybe why something happened or didn't happen. Um, my job is really just to accept it and to kind of like move forward. And so that, that derailed me though, like for sure, because Mm -hmm. you think you've got like a good, when you think you have a good system working and then, you know, you're doing all the right things and then it just like something just stops working and you don't even know why you, you kind of wonder if like the system isn't for you anymore. Yeah. And that's where I think it's so helpful to remember that there are, there are other factors and forces at play because otherwise this can get very victim blamey of like, uh, you know, like if whatever level of terrible it is that that when that happened or if even something more terrible or violent had happened, it's like people then ask themselves, well, did I, did I bring this on myself? Like, and that's, you know, kind of an 
age old, even aside from the law of attraction, that's just kind of one of the impacts that trauma has on us as we look at, because it's our brain trying to make sense of things. And often the things that happen to us in life are kind of senseless. So, or, you know, at least it's, yeah, it's just, there's a lot that's not fair. That's for sure. So, um, so yeah, I think we've got to be really careful to kind of recognize that like, no, it's not that the things that I was doing are no longer working, but there are just unfortunately other factors out of my control here. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. We went deep there. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is super random segue, but one of the things that I had asked about and I love to, to, to talk about with people is sort of like, what are the stories that really impact us? And your answer to this question um, do you remember what it was? Uh, no, yeah. I don't. Okay, well then, surprise conversation. Um, so you said Jonathan Livingston Siegel and that your mom read it to you a lot as a kid? Yeah. Oh, books. Yeah. Yeah. And I had never heard of that. And so I like looked it up online and I, I pulled it up. I still haven't watched the whole thing. There's like a beautiful rendition of the the story being read with like music background and it's this lovely voice on YouTube, but it's like 45 minutes long. So I haven't gotten around to it yet, but I (laughs) wanted to share because I I just was so moved by even the description of it. I was like, I have to watch this and then you can tell us about your experience of it. So the little blurb says, the story of Jonathan Livingston Siegel, a seagull who was bored with the daily squabbles over food. Seized by a passion for flight, he pushes himself, learning everything he can about flying, until finally his unwillingness to conform results in his expulsion from his flock. As an outcast, he continues to learn, becoming increasingly pleased with his abilities as he leads a peaceful and happy life. Oh my goodness. Oh man. And you know, when I put that in there, I when people ask like, oh, what books were you read as a child? I definitely remember the look of the book. I remember my mom reading it to me <laughs> and I remember reading it by myself as well. But until you refreshed me on the plot, like I totally had forgotten yeah, like what the plot was even about. Um, all I can really like say about it is I just remember it being formative. And now that you've described the plot, I'm like, well, it kind of makes that kind of is like how my life is. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, yeah, I just remember like more of the experience of like feeling really peaceful when my mom would read it to me mm-hmm. um, and less like knowing about this, the plot line, obviously. Yeah. And that's what's so beautiful about stories like that is like we can appreciate them at different layers throughout life mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I'm really excited to to listen to the whole thing and and I reading that I was like same I was like I'm Jonathan Livingston Siegel <laughs> yeah it's I mean it definitely is like a a good story about like kind of blazing your own path and following following your bliss I guess and um, that sometimes that means we get kicked out of our flock and it hurts and it hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, maybe I wonder if my mom read that to me, be- like when I was younger, because I was sort of like an outcast. I don't oh, know. <laughs> she's like, I'm just gonna try to plant this little seed here. <laughs> I think it was a popular book in like the late 70s and early 80s, yeah. as well, kind of among woo woo folks. My parents weren't particularly woo woo, but I could totally see my mom hearing about it and like, yeah. reading it. Um, yeah, I mean, I felt like that story was really formative. I'm trying to think of another one that I remember reading that was really good. Have you ever heard of Small One? Mm-mm. <laughs> like, 
we're just going down a winding road of like it's a holiday story okay and it's about I'll briefly try to uh, sum it up so mm-hmm. it's about it's like it's set in biblical times I'm not a terribly religious person mm-hmm. but um it's set in biblical times and there's like a donkey that's kind of like the runt of I don't know if you can be the runt of the litter as a donkey but it's a it's a very small donkey and basically he's at auction or something uh, he had a little boy who really loved him dearly and they had to sell him because the family had no money or something and then um so small one goes to auction and nobody wants him because he's too small to like do labor like a regular donkey I think Disney made like a movie of this too and it's very gut-wrenching um and so he's almost like sold for food or something, I think. Uh, and then by some magical twist of events, he finds himself in like Jerusalem or somewhere. And a man named Joseph is like, you know what? This donkey is actually perfect because I need like a smaller kind of more gentle animal to take my pregnant wife to like Bethlehem or something and so it turns out then small one is like the donkey that carries mary to bethlehem where then she gives birth to jesus (laughs) clearly clearly not a story from the bible but a very sweet adaptation of a biblical story yeah and i had always had a soft spot for animals since i was like a super child and super child meaning like super young and um yeah, I remember that. Like, that's always been... It's like, I can't even, like, watch the movie. It's just, like, too, I'm, like, overcome yeah. by emotion when I see it. But, yeah, those are, like, the kinds of kinds of movies I liked as a kid. Kinds of books. I love it. Yeah. And then uh, I, I don't remember most of the plot of Where the Red Fern Grows, but I do remember oh. that we read it in fourth grade, and I remember thinking it was just devastated. And... Oh. <laughs> probably won't revisit it because i'm like i know enough i know enough (laughs) no no like yeah i know enough about that too to be like oh once i hear the name i'm like no yeah (laughs) no yeah well and anything involving animals forget it like just can't and it's just i know i'm preaching to the choir but like like it's so natural for us to feel those things and then Mm -hmm. we like i'm looking over at my bookshelf right now at um uh melanie joy's book why we love dogs eat pigs and wear cows like the dissonance is real and the the delusion culturally um it's just like it's so sad and then it's both a it's both heartbreaking and joyful when you start to see like you were describing with banjo like you when you start to see all animals that way um, just like how almost anyone would be devastated at the end of where the red fern grows. Like it's, you start to see that all around you all the time and it's, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that dissonance is learned, you know, that's mm-hmm. uh, there's like that quote, like if you put, you know, like a puppy and, or if you put like a pig and, uh, an apple in like a, playpen with a toddler what's the toddler going to eat you know right that not like that I'm sure I botched that quote but (laughs) yeah I mean and you and I lived the movie really growing up in Texas it's Mm -hmm. it's considered abnormal or it certainly was then now I think things are really changing uh quickly which I'm excited about but it's a learned cognitive dissonance for sure and um once you unlearn it it's almost like you struggle with feeling like you even fit 
in like this world for lack of a better less dramatic term but I I mean I struggled with that for a long time when mm-hmm. I got really into ethical veganism right. I just felt like shit can I relate to like my friends and family anymore like mm-hmm. I just you know you kind of try to figure out a place we're human beings we want to belong and that's like a pretty base instinct and desire so when you just discover this whole new way of living it can feel very isolating a little bit. And that's part of why I wanted to write the book too, to be like, yo, you can still, you know, do all of these things that are good for the planet and people and the, you know, animals and still have a cool job and still date and still have fun. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean like your life is over and you have to like go live in a cave for your own, like growing your own food. That's not, that's not, that maybe used to be how it kind of had to be, but now there's such a robust community of all different types of folks who are living in this way that you will find your folks. Mm -hmm. So speaking of despair, um, the environmental side of it, uh, the climate side of it, how do you, cause, cause the book is super good with like, okay, so you're waking up to how, like scary things are and how much we need to do something different here's how in a very accessible way um but how do you sort of stay in a place of of not just being in like the kind of despair where you just say like fuck it that's it's too late yeah um well one and this might seem like a head in the sand strategy but i feel like at this point i've kind of like earned it a little bit but I limit the amount of news I read. Yeah. Um, so like, for instance, I know that the California wildfires are going crazy. I also know like they're largely caused by and kindled by climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know all the information out there about like how we're going to lose certain coastlines and, you know, stuff like that, like all that stuff. I'm hip to it. Mm-hmm. I can't be inundated by it every day. Right. Um, because I do feel like part of, I feel like a real duty, especially since writing the book and like giving talks all over about this. It's like <clears throat> people need to see us being optimistic, but also action oriented um, mm-hmm. in order to want to come around and do these things with us. And that's what we really need is folks to like feel like they belong and feel like they're not being judged and uh, to feel like they're welcomed. And so if I'm in like a shitty despairing place and I'm constantly depressed, that's going to, that's people are going to pick up on that. Um, mm-hmm. And if I'm also like a giant, like, like, you know, I work at like a fortune 50 company in an office where like tons of people know I've written this book. Some of them have read it. That's awesome. Um, and you know, the, the amount of trash created there, the amount mm-hmm. of just like stuff that people eat, they know. And these are largely pretty progressive people who acknowledge climate change as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing that every day also can get extremely frustrating, but you know, I'm never, you're like not going to win friends or influence people if you're constantly putting folks down right? Um, or getting bedraggled down by like their choices. So how I stay optimistic, uh, which I would, you know, like the fatigue around like environmental advocacy and animal advocacy is very fucking real. Mm. I mean, like the burnout and the fatigue is super real. So I think self-care is important, whatever that looks like for people. Um, You know, finding folks who are like-minded in a lot of ways and holding them close and spending time with them so that if you do need to actually have like 
uh, event session, you can do that in kind of a place where, you know, it's going to be in confidence and, you know, those folks understand that's important. And I think just for me, being consistent with my own value system, practicing what I preach helps me to think, all right, well, you know, I'm still doing the best I can. Like I'm not, I haven't given up entirely. So that's kind of the, the whole battle really for me is just like staying optimistic about it. And the fact that I see, I try to balance out the information I take in with a lot of the good stuff too. the people who are out there, you know, trying to solve for these more macro problems around climate change, the politicians who are advocating for changes, the people I know who are, you know, will tag me on Instagram and say, I read your book and not ready to go vegetarian or vegan, but I brought my own mug to the coffee shop, like celebrating those win. I consider all of those to be huge wins. Celebrating them along the way, I think is really important, not just for those people who are doing them, um, but for me and for us, because it just, it means like you're not alone in this, like in caring. And I think like the loneliness can sometimes be something that's uh, a real killer. Well, in any aspect of life, but if you start feeling like I'm the only one who does this and nobody seems to care, then all of a sudden it's really going to just be extrapolated into like, it's all hopeless. And that's Mm -hmm. not the case. The science, you know, the science shows we got to get up off our butts and do a bunch (laughs) of shit. That is true. And I try to take some of the pressure off myself and say, well, you know what? I mean, I sacrificed a good year and a half of my life writing the book, you know, and like, I dedicate a huge portion of my life to doing this outside of just how I personally behave. So I'm not saying I deserve a reprieve, but rather like I'm doing the best I can. Like if we just kind of say we're doing what we can, like, all right. And then if you want to do a little more, you feel like you got the steam for that. Sounds good. Right. But I think that's all we can really do at this point. Cause I've been in the outrage state of things and I found like the only person it actually hurts is me. Mm Mm-hmm. Cause then I'm just like up all night, anxious, you know, sweating about stuff, mad at people, yeah, mad at the world. And they're mad too. Cause they feel like, you know, nothing they're doing is good enough. So again, it's like going back to the cut yourself a little break, give yourself some relief, surrender to it. Just know that you're doing the best you can. Yeah. And sometimes we do have to go through that like manic information gathering phase and and the really pissed off phase to get to like enough motivation to make those changes. But like once you're there, I totally agree. Like it doesn't mean that, you know, we never are aware of anything going on in the world, but it's like, you you know, you don't need to watch Slaughterhouse footage forever. Like you just don't once you get it and it's you, you've, it's internalized it enough that you're changing your behavior. um, Then yeah, it's like, just keep holding on to your people and, and doing what you can and you know the more that we can do that at the individual level and then hopefully bring more people into positions of power who are also um making those changes then awesome so, oh amen yeah. and the th- i love that you were like we don't have to watch undercover animal rights footage because <laughs> lord knows there is nothing and i laugh about this with like other vegan and vegetarian friends of mine but like I was at the height of my insufferability when I was becoming a new vegan. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that is kind of a common thread, especially if it's somebody who's come to it through animal rights. Mm -hmm. Like I was trying to figure it out and I was super well-intentioned, but I was also like pretty fucking 
stereotypically militant and just insufferable. So I always joke, there's nothing worse than like a new vegan. I mean, I love all y'all. I think you're great. Baby vegans are tough. (laughs) Baby vegans are intense, you know, and they're the ones who are like, you know, like we're, they're very, everybody has their own level of what works for them. Yeah. And I'm not here to judge it or whatever, but I have loosened up a lot over the past decade of me being vegan because it used to be there were things where I would, you know, just freak out if I found out like two days later that there was honey in something. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, bitch, it's okay. You know, like I asked myself, yo, in this decision right now, is this saving an animal? Like, is this helping or is this contributing to somebody seeing vegans in a favorable light? Those are the two things I'm kind of I use as like my compasses for if I make a decision now Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, but boy, they weren't before. And I used to like, and every, all my friends, you want to come over and watch earthlings? And it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Now I don't watch any of that stuff because it's like, why it's so, it's so hard to see. It's so traumatic. And it's like preaching to the choir. Like you and I know. We already got it. I don't need to see it anymore. (laughs) You know, it's funny because so that piece clicked for me three years ago, finally. Um, And then the climate thing in terms of like just all the other shit that needs to happen and the individual stuff that, you know, like I, I honestly, I've paid a little attention to it. And like, I know the big things, but I'm really good at going head in the sand about that. I'm like not doing necessarily all the things that I need to do. And so in addition to your book being a really good resource, um, I I just checked out from the library the documentary Greedy Lying Bastards. So I'm going to be getting into a little, yeah, a little climate porn. Um, I love it. You know, it's like I think I I need a little fire under me with that and a little more education. But then that's not going to be a forever thing. Um, Yeah. And I will just say, too, um, in case I forget to mention this in the intro, um, so we have talked a lot about the the vegan stuff um, that your book, I think, is is really awesome for even people who are like, yeah, I'm never going to do that because there's so many other strategies and approaches that this is not just like a book for if you're already, you know, vegetarian or you think you might be some point like there's so many other things that are also really useful. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's. That's part of, that's a big impetus for why I wanted to write the book is everybody, there's like no one size fits all approach to sustainability. What I do doesn't, isn't going to work for everybody, nor is it feasible. And that Mm -hmm. has a lot to do with privilege and socioeconomic status and just like lifestyles. You know, I don't have children, so it's a little easier for me to control like what I eat and how much packaging I use and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I'd imagine if you are responsible for like three tiny humans, um, you know, the life is going to be a little bit different and your demands are going to be different. So I wanted the book to be more like a choose your own adventure book. Whereas like folks look at their life, they take the information, they take some of these action items, they look at their life and they see where they can apply them and they apply them when they can. Mm-hmm. And that's really it. It's not like a, you have to do all 17 things right. in this chapter in order to like ascend to a level of perfection. It's not because that's not how we win together. That's not yeah. how we fix this situation, yeah. you know? Right. Mm. So actually, what is the fucking point? <laughs> of what? Of, of any of it, of life. Um, I 
my own personal rubric, I think the point of life is to be happy and to help other people and things or creatures along the way. Those would be like my guiding principles. But then I look at my own life and I'm like, how much do I do in a day that actually makes me happy? So that's like a whole Mm. other thing. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to me, but don't do what I'm doing. Uh, As I say, not as I do. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, you know, I, I'm sure there are days, moments, phases of your life where you have been more aligned with like, what, what do I enjoy? What makes me feel good? So maybe this is just like the universe giving you a little gentle nudge back in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I mean, I think like the, if you have stamina to do something that you're passionate about, uh, like this, you know, then do it. And, if you need to step back and take a break, do that too. Like mm-hmm. I'm, it's a constant kind of evolution and constant learning experience. But at the base of it, I feel like a life well lived. Like I'm always surprised by people who actually respond to this question. Cause there are quite a few, like if you go on like dating sites, you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of men, especially think like the point of life is to make a lot of money. And oh. I guess for some folks, that's great. If that brings them happiness or they think they can do a lot of good with it. But I feel like the meaning comes from appreciating what you got, finding the joy in that, and also helping people along the way whenever you can. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems that hasn't failed me yet, and I feel like the most quote unquote successful people live their lives in that way. Yeah. But what do you think the point fucking point is? I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not expecting. I'm point. not ready for that. No. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I I think it depends on the day, you know, kind of how I would frame it. But, you know, I agree that it's uh, it's about enjoying and like being fully alive. Um, And I also think that so I'm studying eco psychology and I love the definition my teacher gives, which is being fully alive in a world that is fully alive because, Mm. you know, we're these animals and we've, you know, even even environmentalists, some environmentalists. Um, kind of frameworks are more about like, oh, we've got to preserve these resources for our own benefit um, so that we can continue to use them. It's like, oh, like I don't, you know, I I get that I do absolutely use um, a lot of the thing, like everything I use is of the earth, but I I don't like to think of of my relationship with the earth or any of her creatures that way. Um, yeah. So like that kind of exploring that has been really, really. Um, I don't know, just a deep experience for me. So I'm, I'm all about that right now. It's just kind cool. of like being, being a creature of the earth. Like that's my job. That's what I'm here doing. And and to get to have fun along the way and connect with amazing humans and more than human world and all of that is, uh, and to just, yeah, spread love as much as we can, which sometimes love is fighting for things that we care about. So yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. Mm. Because I think it's, I think I certainly fall prey to this a lot. That whole, just like what we were talking about earlier with law of attraction, like the in the perceived inaction component of it mm-hmm. <clears throat> feels difficult. Um, because what if I have a really strong desire to take action to help something or to help, you know, signal boost a cause or whatever? What if there's joy for me in that or satisfaction mm-hmm. for me in that? And that's kind of where I get sometimes tripped up a little bit. But let's face it, I get tripped up with a lot of those concepts. <laughs> yeah. It's all hard. Early conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's complicated, right? 
Mm-hmm. So tell us where people can find your book and where they can find you online and then anything that you're up to that we should know about. Sure. So um, folks can find my book on <clears throat> Amazon, but also at certain Targets and Walmarts, Barnes and Noble, you know, Books a Million, all wherever books are sold, basically. And um, I get a lot of questions from people about like, well, if you're so into the environment, like, why did you write a book? <laughs> and uh, the book is actually very eco-friendly. I forewent doing a hardcover release because that's just a shit ton more paper mm. um, and more arduous to print for the environment. And the book is actually printed at a hydro-powered or wind-powered facility in Canada. Most books are printed in China. Amazing. Um, yeah, and it's with FSC paper and water-soluble soy-based inks. So it and it's recyclable. So everything about the the physical book is very eco-friendly. But mm. for folks who want to go totally not physical book, there is an ebook or Kindle version, and there's also an audiobook version, narrated by yours truly. So if <laughs> folks have not gotten tired of hearing me drone on and on here, they might like the audiobook as an alternative. Um, people can find me at ashleypiper.com. My name is Ashley A S H L E E Piper, and. And on Instagram by the same handle, just Ashley Piper. And as far as what's next, you know, I am speaking around the country just about sustainability. I'm really enjoying that. And I'm also trying to kind of figure out what is next or waiting for what's next to kind of come to me. So, which normally I would never say that, but, you know, I'm being very transparent here. I'm in a process of uh, anybody, as you will find, writing a book is like a huge labor of love and um, time. And so... Once I had done it, people were like, almost immediately, people were like, so what's the second book going to be about? And I'm like, I'm super type A as well. So I was kind of like, well, I'm just giving myself like a year to, uh, you know, ride the wave of it having come out. And then it's almost like you have a child and somebody's like, and it's a baby and they come over to see the baby and they're like, when are you going to have another kid? And it's like, well, fuck, man, that was like a lot of work. Okay. (laughs) I'm taking a breather. So I've given myself that year. Good. It's been a little over a year since the book came out and I really enjoyed just the process of like seeing how it's been received and how it keeps being received and it's got great momentum. And so I'm, yeah, I'm figuring out what's next. Cool. And you're in, you know, there's the, the cycle, uh, do have B, do have B. And in our culture, we like to skip the B part and we just want to go from do to have, do have, do have. And yeah. so you're in the B phase and that's really important because we can muscle through without it. But, um, we're much, I think we're much more fruitful and joyful when we allow that space. So, oh my God, Valerie, you're like the coolest, man. <laughs> I'm I not do cool have too. B. I'd never even heard that, but that's so true. Yeah. No, I was gonna <laughs> what ask. What is the you have if... stage actually? Well, like so have is you 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 did the like you now have this book in your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Um or like you work your ass off to like you know, renovate a house and it's like, okay, and now you have it. Now you've done the thing. It's here, you've got it. Um, whatever it is that you've been working to achieve or or have, then it's there. But then you gotta be. So yeah, the being yeah. is tough. Yeah. The being is tough. There are some people who are really good at being and don't really do at all. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know what that's like. Who are those people? <laughs> How is their life like that? Yeah. Um, will you be my eco-fairy god sister? Oh, gosh, yes. Okay, because I'm just like totally. It would be my joy, yes. for reals. Um, everyone needs to go get this book immediately. 
and I will link everything up in the show notes. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was a, just a dream. OMG, friend, you made it all the way to the end of the episode. It is truly an honor that you've chosen to spend this time with me. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can find show notes for this and other episodes at ValerieKMartin.com slash podcast. And that's just the letter K. And just to make it a little confusing, you can find me on Instagram at Val K. Martin, V-A-L-K-A-Y Martin, spelled out. I love getting DMs from you guys about what you're enjoying in the podcast, questions, ideas for topics or interviews. And if you want to bring a huge smile to my face, leave a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps so much. Just go to bit.ly slash WTFP review, all lowercase, and it'll take you less than a minute. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking the big questions.